What's up, everybody out there in Avalanche land? Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, as always, J.J. Jerez, and with me is Arif Dean, as always, and of course, Patrick Sedman, making us sound good. Um, Arif, I was recently listening to another podcast, was neither sports nor real estate related, because those are kind of what I stick my podcast to those two things i needed to get change it up this past weekend so i went you know something a little fictional and in that podcast they were making fun of how other podcasts introduce the podcast and it's like your, your listeners already know that they clicked on it they know exactly what they're listening to but I, I guess you know it's just formalities right yeah i mean it seems like it because i don't think hello out there i'm here with blank and that blank is usually Arif dean so i mean at this point we can just get right into it right yeah, I mean, if you go back to all of our podcasts, I'm sure, and just play the intro back to back to back to back to back to back to back, they all sound pretty much the exact same. So. Even when Patrick filled in, he did his best JJ impression. It was impressive. Did he? Dang, I, I wish I would have listened to that. Sorry for, oh, for missing it. Thanks, but. thanks for showing your hand <laughs> that you didn't listen to the podcast that you co-host. Yeah, I tend not to. I mean, I've already heard you talk for an hour once. I don't really need to hear it again, right? Um, but let's get you let's get you into it here, Eric. People need to hear the opinions. I mean, we just came, literally just sat down. You're still wearing your game clothes. So we just came back from the uh, Avs shootout win against the Minnesota Wild, 4-3, to three, of course. Avs, since we last spoke, has, have also taken over the Central Division with several games in hand. So obviously great things going on. Everything moving in the right direction in Avalanche Lane. Yeah, I mean, the NHL and their lack of automatically defaulting to points percentage just bothers the crap out of me. I know I'm starting with a little bit of a negative, but like the fact that that Nashville game last week, the one that ended in overtime with the whole penalty and everything was like promoted as like the fight for first place when the avalanche had like six games in hand or some crazy number and are two points back. I'm like, this is so stupid. And even, you know, I think Mark Mosier, I mean, I'm not blaming him, but even he was saying it on the broadcast. Like if the avalanche win this game, they are first in the central. I'm like the avalanche are first in the Western conference right now. And uh, what they have right now after this victory and the fact that they're 8-0-1 since New Year's is a 736 points percentage. It's good for, I believe, third in the NHL, trailing only Carolina and Florida, tops in the Western Conference by a mile because the team that they just beat, granted they gave them a point, is in second place with a 6-7-1. So the Fs are looking good. Everything's looking mighty fine. They're winning those overtime games, which you didn't see last year. They're winning in the shootout, or actually they're even getting to the shootout, which we didn't see last year. And they're winning close games where they start to unravel. And we sure as hell did not see that last year. Last year, they were either winning by a lot or losing the close ones. And it, it, it's just a different feel this year. There's two different stats that I saw today, and I, they're, they're both interesting, not only because they're impressive stats, but because they were both compared to the avalanche of old, right? So the first stat was uh, heading into the game, I was listening to the pregame show, and in the last 25 games, the avalanche were 23-2, and two, obviously now 24-2 and two, uh, in the last 26, but that was in a 25-game stretch, the best that the avalanche have ever done. Even if you go back to the 95, 96, all the way through the 2000, what was it, three? Um, I, I guess th those teams, I mean, they're being, they're, they're blowing those teams out so far. And, and it's crazy to see because that's what we hold in such high regard as Avalanche fans, right? That era of Colorado Avalanche hockey is like, that's the best that's ever going to be in, in the NHL, let alone in Colorado. And then another one, they reached the 25 win mark faster than any team in franchise history. So those yep, two stats right there. 
yep. obviously, you know, it shows just how strong this team is right now, how good they've been playing the last couple months, and just comparatively how, how they stack up against the teams that, again, that we hold in such high regard. Yeah, they, there's some shootout and overtime, well, not shootout, but overtime losses mixed into there. But, you know, the fact of the matter is they're on an, an insane stretch of, you know, of hockey right now. They won opening night and then they lost four of five. So they started the season two and four. And if my math is correct here, because I was doing piss poor math when you and I were looking at this in the media room, but they are now 23, four and three in their last 30 games. That's that's it's it's ridiculous. They're dominating anybody and everybody that comes their way. And this includes the fact that they lost a game to Ottawa that, you know, you shouldn't lose a game to Ottawa. And they had that game against Montreal where you want to see Johansson. So there's a lot of games in there that they could have probably won two from the four and the three. Granted, there was a lot of games in the 20 whatever that they probably should have lost <laughs> the 24 wins or 23 wins. But fact of the matter is they are playing just unbelievable hockey that's obviously that 25 wins today they had to win in order to beat the record and not tie it which i think was the 94 95 quebec nordiques team and yeah the fact is they've got 25 wins in 36 games their 25 wins is one less than one fewer than florida and tampa for most in the nhl but the kicker is the florida panthers have played two more games and the Tampa Bay Lightning have played four more games. So even though Florida right now leads the NHL, paces the NHL in points percentage, all it takes is two straight wins in LA for the Avalanche to catch them and pass them, I should say. So they're looking pretty good, man. Yeah, and I think one thing that's even more impressive about them right now is everybody in the NHL is talking and watching the Avalanche, right? Everybody's talking about them saying, man, this is a really strong team. They've got so many weapons. So Every single team that goes to play the Avalanche, it's a lot like when you're the Tampa Bay Lightning and, and the former Stanley Cup winner, right? Every team you're playing against is really getting up to play against you. And we've seen that, right? They're getting excited. They're like, all right, here's our chance to, you know, measure ourselves against one of the league's top teams. So they're coming in and they're playing hard. So these wins that the Avalanche have been earning, especially in the last couple of weeks, have not been easy. They've had to do just that, earn them and and play all the way to the full the full 60 and really grind it out. And that's what we've seen through the last couple of weeks here. Ivan Prosvitov stood on his head for the Arizona Coyotes on Friday and damn near squeaked out a victory for him just a couple nights or one night after his running mate in Carol Vamelka shut down the Toronto Maple Leafs in their offense. So they were coming. They were coming for blood and the Avalanche got them. They went back to Arizona and they shut him out. The Avalanche did their thing and scored five goals. So... You know, we saw this game against Minnesota, second straight game at Ball Arena where it required shootout for the Avalanche to come away with a victory. And that doesn't include the fact that you've played a ton of close games. You know, the one before that you had uh, Seattle Kraken where you just barely beat them 4-3. The one before that you had Toronto where you just barely beat them in overtime 5-4. Then there was obviously the shellacking of the Winnipeg Jets. But then the one before that was the Anaheim Ducks where you were trailing 2 to nothing and won 4-2. The common theme in every single one of these games, minus today's game is they have trailed in every single game they've played at Ball Arena leading up to today. So against Anaheim, they trailed 2-0. They won. Against Winnipeg, they trailed 1-0. Toronto was blowing them out. Even the Arizona Coyotes, I believe, got a lead. Even the Seattle Kraken, I believe, got a lead. And then suddenly against Minnesota today, they go up 2-0. They tie it. They go up 3-2. They tie it. And then they end it. So Minnesota just couldn't make them couldn't, couldn't, could make the avalanche bend but not break. But the Avs, the moral of this entire thing is they're winning close games. It's a lot of one-goal games. It's a lot of comebacks. It's a lot of digging deep and really 
kind of going in there and playing good hockey when you're trailing. And that's not something that a lot of good teams can do. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of numbers that back up that when you surrender the first goal, you're more than likely going to lose. And when you're trailing after the first period, you're more than likely going to lose. And especially if you're trailing after the second period and every single one of those stats, the avalanche have shut them down. Every single one of those analytics, the avalanche have shut them down. They said, we're the better team. We're going to win no matter who they're playing. Not to mention finding ways to win in overtime, right? I mean, we mentioned that a couple podcasts ago. Something they never do. Uh, they never used to do this. Right. That's a new trait for them. So it's been fun to see them being able to pull out, as they always should have, right? I mean, this has always been a team that you look at and you're like, at three on three, they should dominate. They should win every time. But it's not the case, and they're figuring out ways to, to get it done, whether it's three-on-three three or overtime, I mean, I mean, or shootout, excuse me. But it's been impressive. So let's get into that game against Minnesota a little deeper. I think the real talking point was Francis stepping in and stealing the show. He really only let up one goal. It was an ugly goal. I'll say that. I, I wish it wouldn't have gone in because it was actually going wide. He oh, yeah, he two gave goals. two, two. He That's in two. true. Yeah, the one to Kaprizov late. And, and the, the other one to Kaprizov. Yeah, so basically two to Kaprizov, and then he flashed that glove on him in the shootout and said, I got you, bro. Yeah, I mean, I guess let's just get into his performance. I thought he was pretty strong. It's not easy to just all of a sudden get up off the bench and jump in the game, but he uh, got in it, got his legs moving. He got a, a commercial break pretty early there, which was nice for him to, to you know get, get a little bit acclimated in that crease. And then he faced, um, I think the... Avalanche were on the power play, so Minnesota came in, and I think Francis's first shot that he faced was just a dump in from the blue line, so it allowed him to really feel that puck and, I guess, get engaged to the game, and I like the way he he stood in there the rest of the night. Again, I didn't like that first Kaprizov goal because it was actually going wide, and I think it bounced off Francis's glove and in the net, but, you know, he, he was there for it. He slid over nicely, and, and I think that's more than we could have said for Darcy Kemper. I mean, Darcy Kemper started the game strong. We'll get into that hit, but for now, let's stick with Pavel Francis and his performance. Yeah, so Pavel, I mean, I, I tweeted this earlier. How long has it been since the Avalanche have had a reliable backup where you can bring him into the game and be confident that he's going to win? And no, I'm not referring to Hunter Miska starting a game and Grubauer coming in to steal the show. That is not your backup goalie. That is your starter taking the night off. And the correct answer is last time Pavel Francouz was healthy. Like it feels good. And I know we're about to talk about Darcy Kemper and him potentially being out. We'll see. But it feels good to finally have that duo, that tandem back, where you can rely on either one at any given situation. If somebody gets pulled by the concussion protocol spotter, you have somebody there to step in and, and win and win the game, and you're confident in that. If somebody's skate blade flies off, you're confident that the guy coming in is going to win. You know, Johansson did, but you just weren't really confident about it. The whole purpose is Pavel's performance today should not go unnoticed because it was a 1 p.m. game. There was no morning skate. They didn't practice yesterday. There was no reason for him to come in and look as sharp as he did against one of the better teams in the NHL, the second best team in the Western Conference right now based off points percentage. And he looked excellent. He made 24 saves. He made a ton of big saves in the third period. He made some great saves in overtime. And then that doesn't even include the fact that he stopped all three in the shootout. So for Pavel to come in and do that says a lot about the kind of guy he is and the fact that this is the second time in nine days that he has come in in relief and won a game tells you all you need to know about him. He's won four of the Avalanche's eight games since New Year's Day. So it's well back to being a tandem between the Avalanche's two netminders, this time being Kemper with Frankie, as they've both won four games. So everything he's doing right now is just is just great because this is exactly what the Avalanche were hoping for when he was starting to get healthy, and he's showing it right away. 
And this is all while still trying to get back in the swing of things, right? And I still don't think he's fully there, which is why, you know, I am love what I'm seeing, but I, I'm not fully on the Francis train yet. I guess I'm not fully back on it. I've always been on it here and there, but right now I still don't think he's fully back to being Francis. I love what I saw, and I love that he's getting Ws, but he's still got a little bit to go, a little bit. I think it's more of a confidence thing for him. So here's, here's the thing with what Pavel is doing. So he's letting in some goals, and we know that. He played today. He faced 27 shots, not 26. It looks like they've added a shot for Minnesota. He faced 27 shots in 35 minutes. He stopped 25 of them. So he went 25 for 27. In his last two starts against Arizona, he went 23 for 26. Against Seattle, 23 for 26. So he let in three goals both times. Against Toronto, he saved 18 of 19. We're going to call that December 16 game against Nashville a wash because that game doesn't matter. What we're seeing is he's letting in goals. He had a 947 against Toronto and then an 885 against Seattle and Arizona, the two worst teams in the Western Conferences, in the Western Conference. But the big point that I'm trying to make here is he makes the stops when they matter most. There's a guy in Edmonton named Grant Fuhrer that won a bunch of Stanley Cups in the Wayne Gretzky era. And if you go look at his numbers, he was like an 890 most of those years. But he was a good goalie because it doesn't matter if you know he lets in five goals. Edmonton had five goals too, but late in the game when it mattered, he made the stops when they needed to be made. And that's what Pavel Francouz is doing. He's coming in in the clutch. It's crunch time. And when the pressure is on, when you're in overtime, when you're late in the third period, and you know, like you and I were talking in the press box today about how Minnesota seemed to be the hungrier team right there, and it looked like they were going to squeak it out in regulation, he made the saves when they needed it most. And 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 you cannot put a value on a, on a goaltender that can do that. Right. I just think there's a, still another level that he can get to. We've seen it before from him. We've seen his ceiling. So I still am waiting to see that full Francis in action. But I mean, even the not full Francis is is adequate. So once he does get back in the full swing, I think, you know, and if Darcy Kemper is still kind of playing the way he has been in the last few weeks, uh, you know, that shutout excluded. Um, I think there's going to be some competition down the stretch here for who the main goalie really is. Exactly. But I mean, I think the big story right now is when the hell we're going to see Kemper again and if he's even going to play anytime soon at this point. Yeah. I mean, let's get into that hit. I thought it was pretty encouraging from Jared Bednar afterwards when he was asked, you know, is it safe to assume that he has a concussion? And Jared Bednar said no. Right. So I thought that was a good sign. The fact that he was pulled out of the game from concussion spotters rather than himself or the coach or the trainer or the doctor. I think that's also an encouraging sign. So we still don't know what's going to happen. It was weird to see him get a hit in the head and then against the post, right? His neck kind of snapped back a little bit. Not good stuff to see, but I thought the post-game quotes from Jared Bednar were encouraging. They were encouraging, and there was a couple things that stood out for me aside from that, which is, you know, could be better news. Um like that that is better news but I say could be because he still could have a concussion you don't know the two things that stood out to me were number 1 Jared has developed this no fucks given with his post gamers that I'm starting to really enjoy because he came out and he told it like it is like it is he said there was there was intent there he came around the net you know in regards to Jordan Greenway and he readjusted his angle to get that head-on-head collision with Kemper and there was intent there and so on and so forth. You know, our defenseman wasn't driving him into the net like that. So for starters, he said it like it was. He didn't say the NHL will uh, decide, you know, if it was a clean hit or not. He came right out and said it was a dirty bullshit hit without the word bullshit. And that, you know, he still expressed his uh, interest in the NHL taking a look at it to suspend him. That's number one. The second thing that stuck out to me is a puzzler. 
Jared mentioned that. So if you remember, Darcy Kemper played one more shift after the collision before he was pulled for Frankie. And we're all like, oh, maybe he's fine. And kind of the concussion protocol spotter doesn't know what the hell he's doing because he should have been pulled for that. And we asked him why he played that shift. And Jared said the protocol spotter, the concussion spotter wanted to pull him, but they didn't get the word out in time. And by the time they were ready to pull him, the ref was already ready to drop the puck. So Kemper had to stay in there. And I'm like, it's nobody's fault. It happens. There was a lack of communication. But what you're telling me is the NHL hasn't thought of a way for the concussion spotter to have clear contact with the earpiece that the ref is wearing or with the earpiece of the guy that runs the game clock and can buzz the ref over and be like, hey, we have to pull this guy to the point where a goalie potentially with a scrambled head and brain had to play a shift because the ref was ready to drop the puck before the spotter set to pull him. That was a little puzzling to me. And I feel like there's a little more that that needs to be dug in there, especially if it comes out that Kemper's got a concussion. But I guess we'll find out. I mean, at this point, the Avalanche are not practicing on Tuesday. They're just taking a flight to, uh, to California. So it might be a while before we even find out where Darcy is and if he's even with the team on the road trip. Yeah, again, I think it's an encouraging sign that it wasn't because they watched that next shift and said, okay, he's showing a little bit of wobbliness, Yeah, right? yeah. So it was the initial the initial contact that made him. And, and again, the way that Jared said no, like in a very clear way when he was asked, is it safe to assume that Darcy's got a concussion or to presume that he's got a concussion, he, he came out with a straight no, uh, is, is an encouraging sign as well. Could be. Right. So we'll see. I guess let's uh, stay tuned. Wait with bated breath because that's the last thing we need right here. I mean, everybody's been talking about how the goaltending is the biggest issue with this team. So to have one of them go down, I mean, less than ideal for sure. So let's hope for the best for uh, Darcy Kemper. But with that, hoping for the best for Darcy Kemper, I think the uh, avalanche were smiled upon a little bit by the hockey gods, having Curtis McDermott being the the first guy standing right next to him during that hit. I mean, how delightful was that to see him be able to answer the bell for his teammates the way, because a lot of times he's sitting on the bench, right? And he has to start yelling from the bench. He comes off the bench after a fight to make sure that his presence is known, but he was actually right there in the middle of things this time. He was right there in the middle of things. And a lot of the times he's not only sitting on the bench, if he's on the ice, he's playing forward. So he was playing defenseman. I did not put him there, but something had to some kind of hockey God or something had to put Curtis McDermott in the crease as the one guy beside Jordan Greenway when he collided with Darcy Kemper. Like it couldn't have been more picture perfect. We traded a fourth round draft pick for this guy to be in that position at that exact moment to jump this guy for hitting our goalie with what looked like an intentional collision. Everything about it was picturesque and perfect in the set. And, and I know I'm saying that about a fight and, you know, a potential head blows for Jordan Greenway. But you know what? This is this is exactly what he was brought in to do. And, and uh, you know, as long as he's not going out there running guys and putting dirty hits on guys and taking five-minute majors, he's doing his job. And, you know, he wouldn't probably be playing if Nichushkin was ready and if health, uh, if Nichushkin was healthy and Darren Helm was healthy. But he was in the lineup and he did exactly what they had to do because he 
just so happened to be the one guy right there in front of Greenway, and he did a pretty damn good job in that fight too. That's a good point with McDermott's game. Nothing he does is is bruiser style, right? It's all in in protection. It's all in self defense that he does the things he does. Otherwise, he goes out there, he tries to play, he tries to score goals, and he tries to make good things yeah. happen. He's not the the guy to go throw bodies around dirty. Yeah, he's not the guy setting the tone and tone setter. We're trailing three nothing. Let's send McDermott out there to throw five hits and one shift and come back to the uh, to the bench. You know, flexing his muscles. He he doesn't do that. It's it's interesting. Yeah, or come in and lay elbows on somebody by mistake, right? And I think the, the best thing about it, too, is you don't have to see Landeskog go up against Jordan Greenway because that would be kind of messy for Landeskog, I would think. Yeah, so Gabe Landeskog, we noticed the way he was talking to the referee because obviously the captains always converge with the official when something like that happens. And he looked ticked. He looked like the uh, my screws are coming loose version of Gabe Landeskog that we see ever so often in quite a lot of times this year in October, November, earlier in the season. Uh, but that's why McDermott is here. The Avalanche don't need tone setters. They have a guy named Gabe Landeskog that can go out there and set the tone. They have a guy named uh, Nazem Kadri that can do that. Logan O'Connor, our new favorite guy in town, Nicholas Obey-Kubel. We've seen Nathan McKinnon throw big hits. We've seen Kale McCarr throw big hits. People can go out there and set the tone to get the Avalanche back in the game. But they didn't have anybody that they wanted to, keyword is wanted because you don't want Gabe to do it, that can answer the bell when shit like what happened with Jordan Greenway today happened. And again, the one guy that played four minutes was the guy that was on the ice. It was ideal. Yeah, I think Landeskog was kind of pissed that they were at five on five after that, right? And the extra misconduct to McDermott. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand the instigator penalty. But if you're going to call an instigator on that, you got to give the other guy four. You have to make sure that the Avalanche come out of that with a power play because that entire thing started not because McDermott instigated a fight. Because McDermott instigated a fight because this guy ran the goalie. The the, the thing that happened was the running the goalie part. And the, you know the, the, the ultimate result from that should have been the Avalanche having a power play. And I think running the goalie is one thing. But when the goalie's injured... And clearly down and impacted by the hit, something a little more forceful has to happen there. I always hate when a player has to answer the bell because he was skating on the rush into the crease and a defenseman pushes him into the goalie and he clocks the goalie because he got you know, off balance because somebody pushed him into their teammate. But that wasn't the case this time. It was a clear guy coming around the net, nobody around him. He kind of cut a corner and went right into Kemper and, and he deserved to have to answer the bell for that. Does the uh, Department of Safety take a look at this and maybe even lay something down on Greenway, or do you think he gets away with this one? I think they'll take a look at it. I think we'll hear about a we'll hear about a you know a pending hearing coming up, especially since this is an early game and there's a lot of time for them to have their eyes on this. Um, and especially the fact that the news tomorrow morning is going to be Avalanche starting goalie. Like this isn't you know third line winger. I don't know. Logan O'Connor or Tyson Jost or Albe Kubel, who's out, this is the starting goalie. This is going to be the big news of the day that the Avs lost one of their goalies and the starting guy. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to take a look at it because this is, this is, I mean, it was a dirty hit. It, it, it didn't look clean to me. It didn't look clean to a lot of people. Well, I guess this is a good spot to uh, take a second to tell you guys about Total Beverage. Everybody already knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they also deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available and 
Did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBeverage.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Check those out, especially those drink recipes. That sounds fun. There's always stuff out there that you never knew people were mixing together and might be your new favorite drink. Like... What, eight years ago when I found the cucumber fizz that people uh, on Twitter never still are still giving me shit for, the cucumber fizz. Yeah. I mean, I, I once mixed a Diet Pepsi with a lemonade, and I'm like, damn, <laughs> I should sell these somewhere. Uh, moving on, moving on. Uh, I guess the Avalanche really uh, were helped out by the power plays early on in that game, right? I think other uh, th- that's really what gave them the two nothing lead and without that they wouldn't have been in the game later in later on especially down the third period when the minnesota wild really started pushing back so only one of those was a power play goal new hooks was right as the power play was expiring but um good on the power play to to really take advantage of that opportunity there early in the game yeah so the penalties came at 15 19 and 15 35 the goals came at 15 57 and 17 39 so new hook scored four seconds after hartman was released from the box which it takes about three or four seconds for a player to kind of reinsert himself in the play depending on what side of the ice you know the penalty boxes in that given period which was the first so he was at the you know at the closer end but that was absolutely crucial. We've seen the Avalanche have a lot of games. I don't want to say lose a lot of games because they're not losing, but we've seen them kind of almost let games slip away because of special teams, because their power play goes over four like it did against Arizona and Seattle, the first Arizona game, or their penalty kill lets in a ton of goals like it did against a lot of these teams in this recent 8-0-1 stretch. But when push comes to shove, this time around against Minnesota, you can't let special teams be the reason why you lose. If you have a five on three and a lengthy one at that for a minute 44, you got to capitalize. And that's exactly what they did. And they did it quickly. The fact that they scored 22 seconds after that second penalty is what was the most refreshing part is the fact that they still had a long power play coming out of that. Because they did it so quick and it was Miko Ranton and it was the top line. And then, you know, the new hook shot was was a nice uh, cherry on top of that. But there was that other shot that Miko Rantanen had at even strength later on that could have given him a 3 nothing lead and really put the game away, but obviously that didn't happen. But the fact is, without that power play, without that 5-on-3, which the Avalanche earned, you know, drawing a penalty, McKinnon and Rantanen each drew one, without those opportunities, and then with the way Minnesota came out in the second period and scored right away, this is an entirely different game if the power play doesn't do what they did there. I remember way back in October when the Avalanche first played the Minnesota Wild, you and I were previewing the game, and it was still early in the season, but the the Minnesota Wild had, if not the worst, one of the worst penalty kills in the entire league. Now they've kind of resurrected that a little bit. Now they're exactly in the middle at 16th, but obviously a weakness there that you have to exploit if you get the chance. So again, just the fact that they got a power play goal and essentially a second one uh, I think is just a great sign for these this team because they're doing exactly that. They're taking advantage of situations and they're exploiting them and capitalizing when I think in years past they might let that slip through their fingers. Yeah, and the, the team at the other end couldn't capitalize on their opportunities. Mm-hmm. Minnesota was 0 for 2 in a full four minutes of power play. And if the Avalanche needed to capitalize on Minnesota, that's 16th. Well, Minnesota needed to capitalize on the Avalanche that are bottom five in the league on the power on the penalty kill. So... Both sides of the special team, the Avalanche came out strong. They made it work on the power play, even though they were credited with only one, but their penalty kill was just as big. And, you know, 
again, against good teams like Minnesota, those are the things that are going to win you games, and those are going to be the difference makers. Well, and they needed something to break the ice, right? Because they were they were really laying it to the wild there during the first period. Kakinen had an amazing first period, had a lot of really good saves. You know, I, I think about the breakaway little one-on-oh McKinnon had, yeah. shot it right into his glove. So, um, you know, we got to credit Kakinen for having a really strong game today. Sliding left to right late in the first period, the Miko Rantanen shot I just referenced. Oof, that could have made it 3 nothing. That one would have been huge, but he kept them in the game for as long as humanly possible and right to the end. Let's get into the goal review. Uh, Avalanche made it 3-2, and I think to everybody in the building, it was clear that the puck was underneath Kakanen's pad and slid across the goal line, way across the goal line, but for some reason we had to sit there uh, for about 10 minutes on a review. Um, not sure what exactly the refs were waiting for or what they needed to see to call that a goal. It was pretty obvious to everybody, but yeah, at the end of the day, it ended up being a goal. So um, the Avalanche, again, persevered through a little bit of turmoil because Minnesota was really pushing at that point. Yeah, that was a really interesting call because even Nathan McKinnon said, he's like, I don't know the ruling and I don't know if they were going to count that because there has to be conclusive evidence that the puck is across the line. Now, the biggest deciding factor for me is how much... Hakkinen's pad slew into the net like it went way into the net there was no question mark there was no well I think the puck's under his skate and his skate and a bit of his pad are over the line so you have to call it that's not conclusive but it's the fact that if you take the bottom part of his pad and the skate and that's where the puck is because that's clearly where it went that part of Kakinen was way the hell in the net like it was at least a foot in the net so it I was think- in the back Yeah, like it was way back. It was hitting up against that back camera in the net. So I think that's what made it conclusive. Because in the NHL, you have to see the puck. If his pads were 7 or 8 inches or maybe 10 inches closer to the goal line but still in the net, you wouldn't be able to call that conclusive. Even though likely the puck is in the net, likely the puck is entirely in the net under his skate, you wouldn't be able to call that conclusive. But unless the puck was way up by his groin, then that was in the net because the rest of his pad was in there too. So it was kind of one of those unique things. I understand why they took a little bit longer because they had to see that. And I I really like what Jared said because he went to Gabe Landeskog during the review and he said, hey, go tell the refs to play it backwards. Because when you're playing it, seeing the puck go in the net, that's one thing, not backwards. But when you're playing at the end of the replay, seeing him bring his pad out of the net, with the puck and the Minnesota defenseman, which he referenced kind of sticking his blade behind the pad, trying to push the puck in, you clearly see the pad come up and you clearly see the puck sitting there. And I even laughed about it when it happened during the review, because that replay appears on the jumbotron. You clearly see him pull his pad in about 18 inches and then lift up his skate and the puck is sitting there, meaning the puck came 18 inches with him. And as soon as you look down at the actual Kakinen, the one in real life, not the replay one, he kind of like hit a stick against his pad like, damn it, where'd they get that replay from? That one makes me, you know, the culprit and all this and the fact that it was in. So it was a lengthy review, but they got the right call and that's all that matters. The avalanche almost blew it anyway, but that's all that matters. It was just a bit of a head-scratcher. It seemed like the ref was in a grumpy mood all night, mm-hmm. so I don't know why they wouldn't just call that a goal right out of the out of the gate and to call it a no-goal and have to review it made you look silly, but it is what it is. That's just the way it played out, and at least it played out the right way. It would have been so frustrating and angering had they said, oh, well, there's no clear evidence of the puck crossing the net, which 
we were almost expecting, right? Yeah, you kind of were like, oh boy, and that's what Jared Bednar kind of joked about too. He was like, was I sure that it was in the net? Yeah. Was I confident they were going to say it was in the net? No. And he kind of Not joked 100%. about it. Yeah. But yeah, going back to that ref thing, aside from the McDermott instigator and the Jordan Greenway interference, there were two more offsetting penalties. Miko Rantanen got a hold somehow when Marcus Foligno got a high stick, that play where they went into the boards. Um, and then later on, Miko Rantanen gets an interference and Alex Goligoski gets an embellishment for it. And on both of those plays, when the Avalanche and the Wild had to play four on four, you didn't just see the ref kind of calling both penalties. He was calling the hell out of both penalties. Like he was pointing and he was like right to the box, both of you, to McKinnon and to Felino, and then to Rantanen and the other guy as well. It was, it was a grumpy ref, 100%. Yeah, a lot of offsetting penalties tonight. For and sure. a lot of weird penalties, too. Like, you know, Ryan Hartman covering the puck in the defensive zone and just laying on it. Like, I think what the what Kate said next to me in the press box was he looked like Ariel the uh, on the rock. And in, in, uh, <laughs> the Disney movie is not coming to my mind right now. What the hell Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid. Thank you, Jesus. Where she's just laying on the rock. He was just kind of standing there like just... Hmm. Like with this like little smirk on his face, not moving, not even making an effort. And then when he gets cold for covering the puck, he comes up like, what did you want me to do? Get the fuck off the puck. What do you mean? What did you want me to do? It was a very strange, uh, very strange penalty. And just, you know, I think the refs had outside of the Greenway thing. I think they had pretty good control of this game. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that for sure. Um, another thing I wanted to get to right now is uh, Avalanche experiencing a lot of success in a uh, about a month ago, a lot of the depth guys were carrying a lot of the weight, especially when you had COVIDs out, you had some injuries out, you had a lot of guys stepping up. But right now, you don't really see that as much. It's more of the big names that are carrying the weight. And uh, in the last three games, I'm going to read off the goal score for you real quick, okay? Every goal in the last three games. Rantanen, Jost, Burakovsky. Of course, you had the Kadri overtime shootout winner, right? McKinnon, Rantanen, Kadri, Rantanen, McKinnon, Rantanen, Newhook, McKinnon, right? So you really only had Jost and Newhook that weren't in the top two lines. Other than that, the top two lines are carrying all the goal scoring weight right now. Yeah, nice of you to stop the game before Nicholas Abe Kubel was out there scoring goals like Alex Ovechkin, huh? Well, we've I'm recorded just, since then. We've recorded yeah, since then. I, I'm, ju- I'm just kidding. But um, I my mean, mind hey. works in. When we've recorded last, right? And that's why we had to start the podcast with they've since taken the Central Division. Yeah, so here's here's what I like about what you just did with the Avalanche. And it's similar if you pull up a game with the Tampa Bay Lightning and you see Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, Alex Kalorn, and Andre Palat scoring every goal. They have a lot of stars. Because if you're including all of these guys into that category, this isn't an Edmonton Oilers game where you're like, Drysaddle, McDavid, McDavid, Drysaddle, Drysaddle, McDavid, McDavid. They have five or six <laughs> guys that you can consider a star because you got McKinnon, you got Rantanen, you got Landeskog, you got Kadri, you got Burakovsky, you got Makar, and you can arguably add Taves to that. That's seven guys out of the 18 players that skate. So what that says to me is not the stars are carrying the team. That says to me the team is loaded with stars. And that's the good part about the Avalanche this year. When McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen aren't going, which there have been times where they're not going, Kadri and Burakovsky are cleaning up the, you know, are cleaning up the slack. And that doesn't mean Kadri and Burakovsky are depth guy. These are just your other stars doing it. And if you go back to overtime a couple of weeks ago, who's the ones that are ending games in overtime for the Avalanche? They've won four games past regulation, two in overtime, two in the shootout. Who won the two games in the overtime period? Miko, uh, sorry, Devon Taves, Kale McCarr, no forwards. They're stars. Everybody on this team, top heavy, they're stars. There's so many of them. Of course, they're going to be the ones scoring. They're the best players on the team. They play the most minutes, and there's like nine of them. 
Yeah, I just remember back when they weren't the ones carrying the weight, just thinking of how completely shut you down. No, there. I, I mean I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think I think you're right. They got they do have a lot of stars, and those stars are performing. And it's just it's the sign of a great team that when they aren't, then the depth's picking it up. If the depth's not picking it up, then the stars are. So um, everything's just moving in the right direction. And when something's lacking, someone else is there to pick it up. Right? Darcy Kemper goes down. Pavel Francouz is there to come and steal the show in the shootout. God, is that nice. God, is that nice to have Frankie back. But I mean, hey, go back to the Seattle game. Nathan McKinnon looked like he was having a dud of a game. And oh, yeah, knickknack, paddywhack. Here is Nicholas Obey Kubel scoring two goals for you. Like, in what world are you going to have a two goal game from Obey Kubel? Like, I don't know where I got that knickknack, paddywhack thing from. But moral of the story. NAK, I like it. They. And AK, yeah. I mean, they they do Nick-nack. it. They 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 step in. Nick-nack, patty and, wag. And I feel like I feel like somebody's gonna tweet us and be like, "Well, Mosier or McGahee have said this already," and they probably have, but I just probably didn't see it because I'm at the game, unless it was a road game. But you get the point. The point is, earlier in the season, who was stepping up? It was guys like Logan O'Connor. We love talking about him. Valerie Nachushkin's got ten goals in I believe twenty games, ten goals and eight assists. Like he's pretty much a point per game pace right now, but he's only played twenty games. And he hasn't played for a while. And when he does, he kind of leaves the game again because of a concussion protocol. So different guys are stepping up when you need to. But when push comes to shove, it's the star players. And here we are with Nathan McKinnon, who now has, I believe, six goals in his last seven games or something like that. Yeah, six goals in his last seven games because he had three and now he's got nine. Yeah, and on that note, nice segue for us there, Arif. Let's get into Val Nachushkin. This morning, tested positive for COVID. Logan O'Connor filled in for him on the second line, I guess, uh, how do you handle the news with Nachushkin, and how do you think Logan O'Connor did filling in for him? I mean, Logan did fine. Whether you put O'Connor up there, Obey Kubel, or JT Comfer, who was the last guy that filled in in the top six when Gabe was out, um, it's going to give you the same exact thing. It's an energy guy who's going to come in and and play the energy role, and that's what they needed from him. You know, he he did fine. He did he did well at it. He played uh, 17 minutes, um, which you haven't seen for a while, so that was nice because I feel like he's earned more ice time, but. It's hard to get ice time when you're playing on a team full of stars. So he looked fine. And in regards to Valerie Nachushkin, Gabe, uh, not Gabe, sorry, the other guy, the coach, Jared confirmed that it was a positive test and that he is asymptomatic. So day five of his testing, which means he probably tested Sunday, day five would be Wednesday night. He can test out a protocol to be available Thursday, which if that's the case, he would fly out to LA and meet the avalanche for the second of a back-to-back. And I'm guessing they're not going to send him on like Delta Airlines. He's going to get a private jet out there. So he'll be ready to go on that second game, assuming all goes well, similar to what happened with Gabe Landeskog and his test out the other day in order to be ready for Arizona. Well, let's look uh, Let's look at what's next here. We got Wednesday, Thursday, back-to-backs in LA, like you mentioned, one against the Anaheim Ducks, one against the LA Kings. Um, not exactly the strongest of opponents, but of course, not exactly opponents you want to look past either. They do have weapons on both squads. Yeah, the LA Kings are 7-3 and three in their last 10, and they're looking pretty good. The Anaheim Ducks are looking the other way. They're 2-6-2. and two. They've lost three straight. Uh, but both teams have a winning record at home, and both teams, again, if if you took Seattle or Arizona lightly, you would have lost to both of those teams because you beat one by one goal and the other one in the shootout. So you're not going to take LA or Anaheim lightly. You got to go in there and do what you got to do to, you know, be the dominant team you are to defeat both. Yep. Yep. And the back-to-back set, does that make you nervous at all considering the goalie issues that might be at hand? That's a good question. Um, we'll see. <laughs> uh I, I don't think the Avalanche are going to start either of Hunter Miska or Trent Miss or, or Trent Minor if it gets to it. Uh, 
if push comes to shove, look, if Jonas Johansson can play back-to-back Toronto, Montreal, Pavel Francis can play back-to-back LA, Anaheim, or Anaheim, LA, other way around. So what, what about the juice man? Juice to San and I forgot. I always forget about him, but I, I, I don't think you want him starting a lot. The reason why I always forget about him is because I don't think you want him starting a lot of NHL games this year. You don't want to bring him up here to let in five goals on five different games and, uh, you know, kind of ruin his confidence. Let him get in the HL, let him stay there, let him grow his North American resume, build up his stats and be ready to go. But it definitely feels like that's the plan with him because he yeah. has playing he has been playing really good hockey with the Eagles, but that the little bit of time he spent with the Avalanche, it did feel like this was too soon. So yeah, let him keep growing, let him keep getting confident down there in the AHL, and and maybe look at him again next year when he's a viable option and not just an emergency option. It's it's the same reason why whenever things happen, you call up somebody like Kiefer Sherwood and not someone like Sampo Ranta. Ranta's the one that likely will have a longer future with this team and could be a good NHL player. But why bring up Ranta if you're going to play him five minutes and kill his confidence? Let mm-hmm. him continue to do his thing in the minors, build his resume, get more goals, get more numbers, and and then you know be ready when there's a spot for him, which, given the Avs' salary cap issues, there probably will be next year. So it's the same thing with Ananen, but back to the original point, there's no way either of Miska or Minor. I forget which one's on the taxi squad right now, but there's no way either of them get in unless there's an injury of some sort because if Kemper's not ready, Pavel's got to be ready to go for both, and I, I'm sure he is. I just know how much Jared Bednar hates the idea of playing a goalie in a back-to-back game. Johansson did it. Frankie can. That's that's what I'm sticking my guns to. I just remember Patrick Wall was fine doing it, right? Especially with Varley. He liked playing Varley in the second night of a back-to-back because Varley always played strong. And then when Jared Bednar came back, came in the scene, it was the, a polar opposite. He absolutely refused to ever let Varley play that second night. Yeah, it, but it's also the fact that Jared has kind of come into the NHL at a time where NHL coaches in general don't like to play goalies back-to-back. So it's kind of become like a league-wide thing. Just like it's become a league-wide thing to pull your goalie with three minutes left. And you were we were kind of joking about Minnesota doing that today, only for them to score six seconds later. It's it's the same idea. I was hoping for that puck line, Arif. I was <laughs> hoping for that puck line. You and a lot of other degenerates. <laughs> we uh, are going to cut this one a little short, considering it's our technically our Sunday podcast, which usually run long. But I got to run to men's league hockey here. So apologies for that. I hope you enjoyed this podcast for what it was but i wanted to end it with this fun little story Arif. i want to take you back to the playoffs of 1999 chris drury's rookie year i'm just a little wee boy i was 11 years old i'm in the building we saw the playoff game i think the avalanche lost it was a really close one after the fact me and my dad go across the street to brooklyn's and you know we're partaking in the post-game activities just seeing what's going on there having some fun and there Back when 950 The Fan was a thing, there's a man sitting there with his desk and his radio set up just talking about the game, and I'm sitting there 11 years old, and I'm looking at uh, looking up at him with these glowing eyes like, wow, that is so awesome. He gets to sit there and talk about the avalanche in a bar after the game, talk about Chris Drury. That just looks like the life. And I think that was the first time I was really inspired. Like, maybe I should try this radio thing. That looks fun. That looks awesome. Now, let me fast forward to today. As I'm driving to the game, I get a text message from Arif that says, Hey, there's an old man sitting in your seat. <laughs> he said he'll leave when you get here. So I'm walking into the press box. I'm like, all right, time to kick an old man out of my seat. And who is it but that same guy 
Sandy Clough, who was doing that post-game show in 1999 that inspired me to do radio in my life. He's the guy that's sitting in my seat, and here I am like, oh, God, it's a legend in my seat. I mean, Sandy Clough, if you don't know who he is, oh, he's that's great. been on radio in Denver as long as I can remember. And he's like the only guy that I think can really carry a radio show by himself, right? He sits there and just has a conversation alone. And so in my mind, this guy's just a legend. I'm like, oh, gosh, I have to kick Sandy Clough out of my seat. Luckily, he was nice enough. He knew. He saw me coming, and he got up without me having to ask him. But Arif. It's a legend. You're just sitting there calling an old man, taking my seat. I would have given him you, my seat and your seat. Me and you can go stand up against the wall. So what I've heard so far is, Eric, you're an idiot, which I am. <laughs> I know who Sandy Clough is. I've heard a lot about him. My roommate talks a ton about him. I've never actually seen his face. Put a face that that to the name, sure. But also rude of you to say that he's the only guy that can carry a show by himself <laughs> because not six weeks ago, I busted ass with a single person podcast and here you are bashing me in every single way to end the show. Sorry. I was so happy. I'm like, a story about Chris Drury and a young JJ. And I was like, oh my God, where's the story going? Oh, Eric, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's a great way to end it. But I'm going to try to change the way you ended it just so that people can forget about the fact that I just made a fool of myself. We usually do a three stars on Sunday. So we're going to do a three stars today. And the third, the second, and the first star belongs to the one California team the Avalanche aren't going to play. And it's the San Jose Sharks because Timo Meyer put up five goals today. What a guy. Well, with that, I could think also Bernie gets a honorable mention for his antics during the first <laughs> period, right? Messing with the Minnesota Wild uh, intermission show there. I like that. All right, all right, all right. Third star, Timo Meyer. Second star, Bernie. First star, the legend of Pavel Francouz himself. Fair enough, fair enough. Another honor, honorable mention, I'm going with Dog Nation. They had an awesome pond hockey tournament this weekend that I partook in. And uh, just a successful thing. Every year, so much fun. You always see former Avs there. Um, Kyle Quincy was actually handing out money for <laughs> a, uh, a betting app. I'm not going to say the name of it since they don't sponsor our show. No free ads, baby. But uh, all the winning teams of the tournament got literally money in their bank in their betting accounts just for winning how awesome is that so shout out to dog nation for putting on another awesome pond hockey tournament um but yeah those are my final thoughts for the day Arif, what do you got to say and let's wrap this baby up uh what i gotta say is the avalanche's next home game will be saturday it's a 5 p.m start against the canadians it's another one of those hockey night in canada 7 p.m eastern time games following the game jj's gonna get smacked up in ping pong and we'll be here sunday to tell you all about how Arif destroyed jeremy jerez in table tennis uh i guess with that being said you know don't forget to check out our instagram page we're do really trying to just kind of figure it out on the go you know find our voice slowly but surely we have some ideas oh, we're getting we know there. it's we're not buzzing there. at at its full capacity just yet but we're we're working on it and uh trying to get better at it every day so go give that a follow if you haven't already give it some likes share it with some friends of course we haven't said this in a while but you know, tell some people about the podcast, whether it's your friends, your mom, your friend's mom, or your mom's friends. Tell some people how much you're loving uh, Arif and JJ talking about the avalanche a couple times a week and, uh, you know, keep helping us grow. We, we, we love the interaction. We love trying to make better content for everybody out there. So, you know, help us. We scratch your back, you scratch ours. So, uh, that's, that's <laughs> that being goes. said... Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, we'll be back later in the week to break down some more avalanche hockey. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. And we out. Here.